good afternoon, everyone. Um, it's your host, Elijah Norris Holiday. And I'm your host, Christian McClary. Thank you for joining a, uh, another episode of the ADOS Podcast. Quick reminder that you all can subscribe to our YouTube channel at the ADOS Podcast. We're on Instagram at the ADOS Podcast. We're on Facebook at, you guessed it, the ADOS Podcast. <laughs> and we're streaming on various other platforms. We're on Spotify. We're on Apple Music. There's just not a place that you can't reach us. So that's not an excuse for you all not uh, to be informed about what we're doing at the ADOS Podcast. We're everywhere. And um, Christian has an announcement that he wants to make. He wants to make us aware of something before we get into our special guest that we have with us. Yes. So um, the over the last couple of days, we've we've all heard some 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 bad, unfortunate news about a young brother who ran for mayor about two years ago in Charlotte, North Carolina. His name is Joel Odom, and um, he he was found dead a couple of days ago. Young brother, he really gave me um, Martin Luther King vibes during his campaign. He, the reason he ran at the age of 20 is because he wanted to elevate the younger community and get them more involved in politics. So if he can do it and set a foundation, you can too. I myself been in that situation, and that's one of the number one things that you know, people face when they're going into these political seats. You know, could I could I see my family? What is the danger? What is the outcome? So our heart goes out to the family of Joel Odom and uh, to the city of Charlotte. Um, you know, it's unfortunate that we're still going through these things that, you know, we are going through 30, 40, 50, 60 years ago when we have black people, black folks who are trying to rise through the ranks of um, the political space unfortunate things seems to always happen to them. And, you know, you all know the, the Judah and the Black Messiah, that movie came out mm -hmm. a couple weeks ago. And I knew about, you know, Fred Hampton, Chairman Fred Hampton, before that movie. My grandparents did a very great job of teaching me about my history, about the black leadership that we had um, and that we currently have. So I, I knew about him. I knew about that brother. And we're from Chicago. We're from the South Side. So, you know, he's like you know, a, hero for, a hero for us. And it's just so sad that whenever we have black leaders that try to, you know, get their peoples all on, on one agenda, one platform, try to align the black community together, they get assassinated or they die, unfortunately. And I don't know the details behind the young brother's passing. Mm -hmm. um, I hope there was no foul play. Uh, but, man, it's just it's so sad that we can never make those advances because it's like every time we get to that point, something happens to our leadership. And it's just sad. It's something that I, I always ruminate over all the time. And man, it, it's kind of hard to be optimistic when we know the reality when we have black leadership, mm -hmm. you know, or at least people who are trying to be, become city council members, mayors, trying to align their community together. What happens to them? Yeah. And he he was the youngest candidate to run for mayor in that city ever. And, you know, it is scary going in at such a young age, not knowing what to expect. And I, I was reading an article how he built a relationship with one of the candidates that he ran against. You know, she didn't win as well, but, um, you know, they, they they formed a bond and she was really hurt by it as well, although they ran against each other. So once again, our hearts goes out to the family and to Joel Odom and the city of Charlotte. Absolutely. Absolutely. We do have a special guest with us today. Um, I'll let Carissa introduce herself. <laughs> Hi, Carissa. Guys, good morning. Thank you for having me. Good morning. Of course. Um, do you want to just introduce who you are, um, where you're from for our audience? 
Awesome. My name is Carissa. I am Carissa Sutton. I am uh, the CEO and founder of the Powerhouse Mom, which is a uh, for-profit organization designed to provide uh, coaching and solutions to single moms. I am also a realtor here in Minneapolis, but most recently I was named a housing chair for Minneapolis NAACP. <laughs> Oh, wow. How long have you had your company? I didn't know that about you. I didn't, I didn't okay. know that you're a business owner. Yes. Um, I've had my company now. This is my second year. Awesome. And and how has all that been going right now? Um, you know, in the pandemic, it's been um, it's been interesting trying to pivot. Uh, um, but uh, but I'm still, you know, doing this the best I can with it. So. Absolutely. Wow. I, I didn't know you're a business owner. I, I'm a business owner as well. So I, I love to talk with folks who, oh, nice. you know, who, who own businesses and are doing great work in the community. So I, I learned something new about you that I didn't know. I did know that you are the, you're, you're the sitting chairperson for the housing committee on the NAACP. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about that role? All right. So with that role, um, I just got appointed to that a couple months ago. And with that, we will be studying housing conditions in the local uh, community and we'll be receiving complaints. Um, I'm pretty much going to be over uh, this committee just looking to, um, you know, look into discrimination and things like that. Within the Perfect. And I'm, I'm going to say congratulations on that role. Um, it's important. And you're not just going to speed past one thing that I caught. <laughs> Real estate? Like... Are you are you yes. kidding me? For one, <laughs> I think that is a really good business to be in um, because you you become so knowledgeable of everything that's happening around you and better yet for your community. So I love that you're also doing real estate and you're doing housing committee for the NAACP. And um, I congratulations. Thank you. So with that, I decided to get into real estate because when I bought my first house, I bought it as a rent to own. And I didn't understand the contract. I didn't understand the language. And I became a uh, basically a, a victim to wolves, you know, in sheep's clothing. And uh, a part of that was wanting to be able to understand the language for myself and for others, but then also, you know, my history with um, housing and wanting to make a difference in housing, I wanted to be able to represent our community as well in that. Um, so being able to negotiate, understand the language and across the board, uh, be able to help with the transaction, that's why I decided to kind of push myself into that role so that I wouldn't become victim. And then I can also be a part of roles when, you know, when there's other issues. Wow. I, I love the fact that you took an unfortunate situation um, and you admitted that you didn't know enough about it when you got involved into it, but you, mm -hmm. you know, made a goal for yourself to learn the language, right, mm -hmm. within these contracts. And also now you're empowering other people, at least I'm assuming that you're empowering other people um, to become knowledgeable about real estate and these contracts and these leasing agreements that, that they get themselves involved in and how these things can have an impact on them negatively or if you know what you're doing positively, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It goes back to kind of that black wealth building and it goes back to what we're used to seeing as well, right? In our community, are we really homeowners? Are our parents homeowners? Um, have we seen this? Have we really seen these contracts? So 
that was a lot of why I wanted to get involved with it. And also, you're right, empower myself, but also empower others to be able to do the same. So sure, you can come into a transaction, you're a first time home buyer, and you don't understand the language, but you can trust that the person working for you understands the language, will make sure that you're completely taken care of, and uh, that we have your back in that aspect. And that's that's amazing you brought that up because last week Elijah and I were talking about reparations. And and I was like just just hearing you speak about it, like I was like the perspective you said is a little bit about what we were getting into our last segment. And we were just talking about the building of the black wealth, the educating ourselves in order to educate for others. Because if we didn't know about ourselves, it was really hard for us to know about others or how to work with others. So thank you for highlighting that. Now, I have a question for you. How did you get involved with the NAACP? Sure. So I got involved with the NAACP during the George Floyd uprisings and protests. Uh, I grew up south side Minneapolis. I grew up in that neighborhood, literally blocks away from where he was murdered. And uh, during the time, Leslie Redmond was the president and she was running this Don't Complain, Activate campaign. And I heard her speak and I'm like, I can't be one of those people that just sits quietly and doesn't do a thing. So instantly I was so uh, appalled and so moved and so distraught by what was happening in my neighborhood that I just got up, I activated and I was pretty much donating my time wherever I could. Um, I was out I was out protesting. I was out uh, collecting uh, donations, delivering donations. I was uh, doing some work with the FBI. I was doing some work with uh, canvassing the neighborhoods or canvassing the neighborhoods. Sorry about that. And um, yeah, I just activated. I was so moved by George's uh, murder in my neighborhood. And it was just that one thing that pushed me to make a difference and just get up. Um, so then I eventually connected with uh, Leslie and I connected with Angela and I've been full throttle ever since I joined a political action committee and I began doing work uh, across the board all summer uh, preparing for elections. <laughs> I can go on and on. <laughs> oh, oh, you, you know, I, um, I'm inspired uh, because as you mentioned, you, you got involved, you got activated during the George Floyd murder but you didn't stop, right? Because I know, I know a lot of people that weren't involved prior to it and they saw that video, they felt the outrage of the community and they wanted to spring into action, but that action only lasted for two weeks. It lasted for a month or two months. You know, I, I can tell now that you know, once you experienced that, not only did you get involved, but you stayed involved and you were looking for more opportunities to get involved. And, you know, I, I know you're the type of person that probably got other people in your circle to get involved and inspired them as well. Uh, that's the key. You know, it's one thing to get activated. It's another thing to stay activated um, and not to go back to that 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 place of complacency, which we see all the time. Right. We got the, the daytime activists, uh, the nighttime activists, or we got the people who've made this a part of their life. And not everyone can do it 24 seven. But it needs to be a part of your life to the point where I'm putting in a couple hours a week just to help my community out. That's something I think everyone can agree to do, right? A couple hours a week is what all I think I'm asking for just to try to get involved and stay connected in some way. So so that's key right there. Absolutely. Well, the thing is, it wasn't over, right? 
the fight isn't over. So once you get activated, you have to stay consistent and diligent. We're still in a fight. We're still in a battle. There's still so much work to be done. So for me, you know, coming out and protesting and just doing something for the moment because it was hot, I wasn't on the bandwagon for that. I was on the bandwagon for change. I have a son. Um, he's six years old. And until I can feel like he's safe in the streets and that he's safe to be a black male in Minneapolis, uh, the work wasn't over. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and that being said, and this is kind of a segue into my next question I'm going to have for you, but it's hard when we as black people have situations that we have to fight for and then more situations arise during us still fighting for the situation prior. So I don't know if that made sense to a lot of people, but it's like, as we continue with this organizing, this work, the mediation and the fight for equity, we are forced into other situations when we're still fighting for another situation. So now all of these different issues that we have as a community, it becomes very hard to navigate. And then we have to divide and focus on multiple different areas to get what we would call the reparations for our community, basically the respect for our community and the resources. So I wanted to thank you for, for the work that you're doing and saying, yeah, I want to get involved. And no matter how many other issues come, one such as housing, you're like, I'm going to be there to make sure that we have the housing knowledge to put into this community and, and particularly into the black people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, if you're not familiar, you know, Minneapolis has a long uh, history of racism in our deeds and contracts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, there was that time when blacks weren't allowed to own and that preventative measure still kind of reflects us now when you see, you know, uh, how many homeowners we have versus renters. And then especially with this eviction moratorium, um, you're seeing how many people are affected by that. So absolutely, you know, for me to step in at this point and say, we need to make a difference. We need to use our knowledge and our understanding to make a difference. Um, You know, I'm definitely pushing with my position to put more Black folks into home ownership and understanding Black wealth. So, um, you know, we can kind of make a difference with that going forward. The the city of Minneapolis, and and you're right, we have a huge amount of our our population residents that live in Minneapolis who are renters. Um, And a, a a large percentage of those folks are people of color, Black folks who are renters. And especially in Ward 5 and in Ward 4, right, which is the community's north side in, in Minneapolis. There's a lot of folks who are renting over there. It's a huge problem that we have. And we know about the, the historical discriminations with the banks, not giving black folks loans. And if they do give them a loan, the interest rates are through the roof, so they'll never be able to pay off that home. And 10 years later, the bank comes and, and, and takes the home back because they can't make the payments on it, right? Uh, <laughs> so, so we know that history. What specifically is the NAACP doing, you, with your committee, um, to kind of fight and combat some of those historical things, right, specifically to address the discrimination in um, home uh, mortgage loans in the community, which I know is a huge problem. Absolutely. And it's not a one hit or miss thing either, right? So yesterday we had a meeting with uh, Angela Connolly, and we began the discussion, you know, she's doing a lot of work for, for the community, but we began the discussion that we would like to be at the table as well. 
um, about housing from, from both sides of the spectrum, from all the way from homelessness to home ownership. So we wanna be able to support or be involved across the board um, when it comes to the black community. Um, so whether you're unhoused or you're in home ownership, we're looking to have that conversation across the board regardless with that. And then also we're doing uh, an intake process where if a community feels that they're being discriminated against or um, they have an issue that uh, in their housing that might be civil or something that they feel NAACP should be involved in, we're doing an intake process where we will investigate, research, and respond to those kinds of inquiries. Excellent. I, I think a lot of people <clears throat> believe once you get your house, you no longer need support. I don't think that's true. Uh, there's a lot of people who still need support even once they acquire uh, a home, right? When they become a homeowner and specifically uh, educating themselves about refinancing options and how this pandemic has really uh, made a lot of people some money or saved a lot of people some money. I know my grandparents, you know, my parents are homeowners. My grandparents are homeowners. Pretty much everyone in my immediate family owns their home. And once the pandemic hit, there was a lot of programs out there for them to refinance their homes and get lowest interest rates. A lot of folks didn't know about that, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and that benefits people, but it doesn't necessarily benefit the bank. Right. Uh, so I think just even having more programs and conversations on how we can support people even once they become homeowners and even encourage them to get a second and a third property to really start building that generational wealth and there getting some of our black folks to become renters in their properties. Right. I mean, mm -hmm. we need to start building that type of community where if we have people on the north side who own the homes, own the duplexes. They're the people who are going to be getting the renters. Right. There's a lot of youth homelessness right now. How can we try to, to create a system, implement a system where we're supporting our youth and also building community generational wealth? I know we talk about it from an individual's perspective, but it's never really from this. How do we start building community generational wealth? That's how I want to start the conversation. I mean, it needs to happen. Everyone else is doing it. Absolutely. And that's pretty much starting with that knowledge base. It's starting with having that programming where there's free access and people know where to go. That's the other thing, too. You know, we can have it out there, but, and then also, and also it's looking at familiar faces too, right? Who's doing the programming? How do you feel comfortable with that? So those are some of the things that we're looking at uh, partnering with a lot of organizations in the community to bring that about. Yeah. In which those conversations need to happen. And, you know, and I'm going to hit on another piece because I know Elijah was talking more of like the mortgage and home ownership. But you mentioned the unhousing and the homelessness, which is a huge part of the discrepancy. It's the it's it's the knowledge, how much they know about housing, renting, you know, uh, applications how to even file application fees and all these different things. So when I'm thinking about it, building a community, I'm thinking about a total of a lot of organizers who are for the black community to build somewhat of a black village. So that way we could start housing ourselves. We'd be our own bank. We'd be our own community where we say, look, if you ain't got it this month, good. We're going to help you find a job. We'll take care of your rent. When you got it next month, just give it to us next month. No stipulations. And when I ran... Um, for city council, one of my platforms was guaranteed base income, which I was inspired from the city of Stockton and in Stockton's in California. That that city was actually going bankrupt at one point in time. Mm -hmm. 
And then they enter, they implemented this model, guaranteed based income, and they call it the seed program, where a certain amount of families who are underneath the income median, they get like a, a untaxed supplemental stipend. They get income, somewhat of like the stimulus where it's, you know, it's nothing. It's just there. Mm-hmm. And it's not a lot of money, but $500 a month for X amount of families saves people. People were able to live affordably. The city of Stockton got recognition for saying, wow, like people here are loving the seed program and everyone is receiving it at some point in time. And because they're receiving that, a lot of their expenses go to medical bills, food for their homes, directly to their rent or mortgages or whatever the case may be. And I just picture, I'm like, we have to do more of that. You know, we have to be inspired by cities like Stockton so we can implement this. Because if they can do it and they were on the cups of being bankrupt, communities with more money and different resources could do it, if not better. Mm-hmm. And I, I do remember you bringing this up. I think you brought this up when you were on the show. When, yeah. I, when you were running for office, you brought it up. And I originally said I didn't agree with you or you know, with that particular stance. I, I liked some of the provisions that was included inside the CE program. Mm-hmm. I had my skepticism of it. But I, I do acknowledge this. Human tendency is when you make more money, you typically do what? You spend more spend money. More. Mm-hmm. So if we're giving people more money, that we're, can, we almost can expect... For folks to just go out and buy things, which is good for what? The community. It's good for the small businesses. It's good for the city, Mm -hmm. right? Because they have more people who have more funding to spend. That's what happens when you give people more money. And that's why you see people trying to push more stimuluses out there because the economy is in trouble. If people don't have money, they can't spend, which means our businesses fail, which means that's what that does for our economic uh, systems. Yep. Goes in a, a, a downward spiral, right? So how do we pump more money into these families, these households, into individuals, and get them to spend more money so the economy can go up? So I do agree with that because I know human tendency. That's the business aspect of it, but I I understand. <laughs> Man, well, once you become a business owner, and I, and I try not to do this all the time, my mind is just always stuck in business. That's it. So everything that I look at is, is through a business lens. And sometimes it's, it's negative. Sometimes it's a positive for me. Um, so I do understand the economic impact that that can have. Mm. Uh, I don't know if we'll be able to replicate something like that in the city of Minneapolis, though. <laughs> you never know. You never know. We can know. always try. We, 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 can, always we try. can always try. I think that's a good segue to talk about what do you think the biggest issues are? Not necessarily from your, your role as the NAACP housing committee chair, but just you as a black woman, business owner, uh, you said you're a Southside native in Minneapolis. What do you think the biggest pressing issues are in our black community? Because there's a lot of them, but I want to know specifically from you, what do you think the biggest issues are? You can give me two or three. Well, I know. And see, and I really feel like right now that eviction moratorium is one of the biggest ones, especially because I do work with uh, single mothers as well with my nonprofit or with my for-profit business. Um, I'm seeing a lot of single mothers who are affected and worried and concerned and stressed and um, worried about how they're going to uh, make it during this time. And for me, seeing that those are two sides of the spectrum, you know, single mothers who need the support, they need um, assistance, and they're also dealing with this huge housing crisis. So those are kind of my two things that I stick to um, in community. Um, I do 
definitely the single mothers. And then also with that um, eviction moratorium, I feel like that is a huge, um, a huge issue right now. Um, I got one more question. I want to turn it over to Christian too, because I know he has a couple more questions he wants to ask. Um, so you brought up the, the rent moratorium and mm-hmm. um, providing more support for single mothers who are renters. Are you currently, and I guess you can give me your perspective from you just as an individual and then maybe offer your perspective from being the, the chair of the housing committee. Are you supporting the rent control policy that will set limitations on how much a landlord can charge a tenant? So for me, Carissa Sutton, yep. I would support that. Uh, publicly, Minneapolis and NAACP, we haven't said um, which way we are with that. But I personally think that, um, you know, this isn't a time for uh, people to continue to raise rents, especially, you know, the considering the, the climate right now of the way things are. So I definitely think um, I, I do um, agree with that. And, and and do you have any investment property right now? Do you have any renters? I um, I do not mm-hmm. have investment property. I just started my business. So I will, my personal business outside of selling real estate, mm-hmm. I will also buy and sell and rent and flip properties as well. So I just uh, got that started. But when I do, I absolutely, absolutely will. But my perspective of it is um, it's not, for me starting my business, um, is not about necessarily making money. Um, I got my real estate license with purpose. Um, I got my license. I got involved in the community to want to give back. So for me, yes, there is that, you know, you will make an income on this, but I'm not looking to, um, hurt my community any more than it, than necessary, right. Just for greed or, uh, for money, um, so for me in that position, that's how I look at it. You, you know what? I love that, Carissa. And I said, I, I'm a business owner as well. I have a pretty successful business. Um, actually, I do it full time. And I'm also a graduate student. And when I have conversations with people about being a business owner, they always assume that I'm in it just to make a lot of money. And that's not true. I understand the power of money. And I, I say this all the time on the ADOS podcast. Money is not the final destination. The final destination for me personally, Lodge Norris Holiday, is liberation and freedom for my people. Now, in order to arrive at that terminus of liberation and freedom for my people, I need to I need to have a vehicle, just like you need a vehicle to get in, to any destination, right? And money is that vehicle for me, um, and I understand that. I don't need to push my profit margins to the furthest extent possible, which is capitalism. Um, I understand that I live in a capitalist society, but I don't have to come. I don't have to succumb to the traditional aspects of what capitalism is. I can use money as my vehicle to get to freedom and liberation for my people. And I think you can relate to that a bit, right? We understand the significance of money, but that's not the end all be all. That's not our destination. It's a higher purpose. I I appreciate you saying that. Thank you. You're welcome. Yes, definitely. And uh, I kind of want to backtrack a little bit to to the homelessness and <laughs> unhoused because I, I kind of went on a tangent. I'm sorry, community. Sorry, Carissa. Um, but I wanted to ask you, what is your definition of, of homelessness? Because I have one and I want to know what Elijah's definition is as well. But from your expertise, your experience for someone who's in the real estate industry and doing the housing committee work, I just want to know what your definition of unhoused or homelessness is. You know, if I go really deep with you, which I'm feeling like I might want to do, I actually think that um, 
renting at some point is a version of homelessness because you do not own the property. Um, There is, you have no rights in the property. And um, at any point you can be removed from the property for whatever reason. So um, I would originally, I would start there by, by saying that if you are a renter and you don't own your property, um, you are experiencing a version of homelessness because of that security blanket is to be ripped from what's under you at any point. That is so powerful because for, for someone who is a renter, and I, I feel this way, I'm about to buy, I'm, I'm in a process, my fiance and I are looking to buy homes because we're like the money we're putting into the renting could go towards a mortgage. And then another thing Elijah and I talked about next week is like, if you have the mortgage, and you mentioned it earlier too, like if you have the mortgage, technically you're still not really the owner until you get that deed. And, you know, it's just one of those things that's in place. My definition, I, I kind of, I agree with yours too, but my definition is like, if someone is couch surfing, if someone is staying with a partner, if someone is renting by your definition, those are all different forms of homelessness. And when we're talking about reparations and building uh, things and, and support systems for people who are homeless, we have to consider all of those different definitions of homelessness. And when we understand that, that's when we can actually get things done. I, I agree with both of y'all's definition. I, I would say I would just take what you said and combine with what you said, and that'll be my definition of homelessness. <laughs> I, I, think, I think a lot of people look at homelessness from just one aspect, one perspective. Um, but like you were mentioning, Christian, it is a spectrum, right? And I have conversations with people all the time. Like, dude, if you're sleeping on somebody's couch, Regardless if you paying rent or not, you are still homeless because the second that person comes home and your socks is on the floor and you left uh, the, the pizza box on the table, and you ain't throw it out. And I told you to take out that trash before I left and the trash ain't taken out. I can tell you to bounce. Get up out of my crib. Take yeah. your little funky 250 and leave. It, no, seriously. And that's a reality that they need to understand. Like if you're on somebody's couch. And you say, well, I pay rent. I pay two fifty. Yeah, you're you still homeless, bro. You're still homeless. I, you, I have this conversation with my friends so much. It's like, dude, that's your chick for now. But the second she don't like you no more, you gone. The second <laughs> she find a dude at the grocery store that actually got a job doing what she wants to do, uh, uh, somebody who's a better candidate for for marriage than you are, because you know that that's I think that's as significant as a date. Not to go off on a tangent, but you, you're dating someone to see if you want to marry them or not. Mm-hmm. And a lot of women know ahead of time who their husband <laughs> gonna be. And right now, a lot of them dudes on their couch ain't gonna be their husband. So when they find their husband, when they go to church or when they go to the grocery store, that brother gonna be out, or that sister gonna be out when that man find his wife. Right. And that's the reality. And people don't think about that. Now you went from one bad situation to a worse situation because you don't got that couch to sleep on no more. Mm-hmm. Now you might be in your car or now you might be at the shelter. Yeah. So Minnesota co- gets cold. It gets know, cold I here. I don't know if anybody knew this, but it gets cold here. It, 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 so it was cold. negative 20 a couple of weeks ago, it, last week. It was. So, exactly. so, so the biggest thing for me is how do we educate people so they understand that, right? That I don't have security because I got a roof over my head right now. Right. If I'm a renter, and I love that you mentioned that, Carissa. I, I haven't heard anyone put it that way before, that even if you are a renter, you still are subject to being homeless eventually. Right. That's not completely removed off the table because you signed a lease, because as soon as you violate a provision within that lease agreement, you can be kicked out. And now that, that that's an a unlawful detainer 
or or, or mark on on your or your uh, not criminal history on your credit. rental on your re- rental history and your credit, mm-hmm. and now it becomes ten times harder for you to get your next place, which also can set people up for homelessness. So yeah. I appreciate both y'all's definitions, and th- and thank you for bringing up that aspect of it, Carissa. Uh, because I think our audience needs to know that. Yes. Just because you're a renter don't mean you got security. <laughs> Man, th- th- that was good. Um, so we talked a little bit about some of the initiatives that you all have going on right now at the NAACP. Is there two or three that you're really like, man, I'm so glad that we're championing this. I hope that we can really get this to come into fruition. I really want more community support around these initiatives. Like, are, Is there two or three initiatives that you can talk a little bit more in depth about that you're really proud of um, that you all are leading at the NAACP on the housing committee? Um, yeah, so really with the housing committee, we're really pushing for, um, like I told you in the beginning, we're looking for that Black wealth. We're looking to start putting out um, programming around that. So that's something that I'm really excited about just because I feel like uh, there's so many people in Minneapolis that don't experience the comfort of what it means to be homeowner and what that means to, uh, you know, live in the neighborhood for longevity and knowing that that is your place and you're building equity. So for me, um, that's one of our top priorities. The second thing um, is kind of like, again, that eviction moratorium we're doing a, um, we're doing a collaboration with Urban League, where we're looking to try to secure hotels, motels, um, and also um, some, uh, I think some, um, I'm having a brain freeze, Um, we're trying to secure some uh, lockers and things like that, just in case, because uh, things are just being kicked down the can for so long, the can's being kicked down the street for so long, we don't know when and what will happen at that point. Mm -hmm. And we want to be prepared and have tools within our organizations to be able to give to our communities just in case something happens like that. Um, And then really looking at, like I said, really looking at uh, taking in uh, issues that are happening in the community where people feel they're being discriminated against. So that's huge. Yeah. And and are you guys looking for, for that project into uh, foreclosures and multifamily units or not necessarily the units as you're still trying to structure it? We're still structuring. Okay. Um, we, we just, you know, I just got appointed. So there's a lot of my list is long. <laughs> my list is long. <laughs> it's a laundry list of things. But um, eventually we will across the spectrum again from unhoused to homeowners um to be across that there's two things that i picked up on Uh, the first thing is it seems like the NAACP housing committee you all have a multi-dimensional approach that you're trying to take to tackle the issue of building uh, black generational wealth and also the issue with housing displacement homelessness um renter insecurity right we'll just call it all of those things um and i value that i don't think it's a one size fits all approach to tackling this issue it's a huge issue that must be addressed but we have to have multiple different pathways um to actually address the issue it's not going to be one solid thing and uh the second thing is i like that you all are very intentional about building that equity piece right and i really hope that you all lose sight of that that's what it's about. 
the temporary solutions are fine. Uh, I think we need to have the temporary solutions, but what are we going to be doing long term to really set people in our community up for home ownership? That's the first one. We talked about it last week when we had our episode, when we talked about reparations. I believe that we can do reparations ourselves. I'm not a big fan of waiting on somebody else to, to swoop in with a, with a cape and say, here you go, black folks. Here's all the, the money that we owed you for years of, of enslavement, for, for the years of discrimination, for the years of abuse. Here goes a lump sum of money and opportunities all of a sudden. I don't believe that's going to happen. Um, but I do believe that we have enough resources and talent inside of our own communities where we can make reparations happen for ourselves. Um, so I, I really like that you all are being intentional in that approach that you're taking and to try to build that black wealth through real estate, through home ownership, because that's the first step. And this is coming from someone um, whose family owns multiple different properties. My father, uh, we had a restaurant and we had a full catering business. We do the hot dog carts and the food trucks, all that for 10 years in the city of Minneapolis and in St. Paul. But now we're slowly transitioning into just doing real estate full time. We own various property, a, a, a variety of different properties from single family to, uh, to, to, to multifamily households uh, to also we have a, a few uh, duplexes as well in Duluth. So a lot of our properties are in Duluth, not in the Twin Cities because it's just expensive. And you probably know that. But I know the significance of home ownership. I know the significance of building wealth that way because then you can pass that down to your family. You can't pass down a rental agreement. Period. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and that's, you just said it. That's the key right there is to pass it down and generationally, um, you know, leave something behind. Mm-hmm. Then we're also looking at, you know, our brothers and sisters who are coming into reentry. You know, they're coming from prisons and they're not able to even get a lease. Right. So we have that aspect that we're looking at as well as how can we look at um, restructuring that so that at least our brothers and sisters come in. You know, they've done their, you know, they've done their time or, you know, they've done, they've paid their paid back to the community. But then they're having the hardest time getting into housing. So that's another issue that we're tackling. It's also, like I said, the, the spectrum is is large um, as far as youth, even in homelessness, um, one step at a time. But starting at the top is our priority right now is really that Black wealth, that home ownership piece. And, you know, as the committee grows, we'll be able to um, address more issues. You know, the fact that we even have to use the words youth and homelessness in the same sentence is just sickening to me. Like how, and I'm, I'm hopefully I don't go off on a tangent, but like where, where have we gotten to in society? Like where are we at in society? Let's really take a second to think about this. Well, we, well, we can use the word youth and homelessness in the same sentence. Like seriously, we got young folks out here, 16, 15, 14 years old on the streets, literally on the streets. And we know once they get on those streets, it's hard to get them off because more than likely the people that are supporting them are the drug dealers, are the game bangers, are the people who don't have their best interests in mind, who are just trying to use their young body as a pawn in a much bigger scheme to what they have going on. And I work with young people, so I see this happening. Um, And it just breaks my heart that we even have to use those two words in the same sentence. Like, where are we at as a society? Absolutely. I mean, it's heartbreaking even to think that. But for me, I think I really focus on how we can make a difference and what we can do, really. Um, How we can try to minimize that or at least find solutions. Uh, You know, if we wake up and think about the problem all the time. um, There's a a saying that I heard, and um, it's, you know, we've admired the problem long enough. 
Um, and that's by Melody Hoxton. And mm. yeah, it's no longer, let's not admire the problem anymore. Let's look at solutions and what we can do across the base. Right now, I feel like we're in a fight. I feel like we're in a fight for the Black family. We're in the fight for the Black community. We're in the fight for everything Black. So whatever we can do to make a difference, um, it's our position to stand up and use our strengths uh, for that. And, and and just to echo the words of our, our sister, Leslie Redman, um, who I admire, who I respect and, and who I love, uh, proud, uh, <clears throat> proud to, to, to just know her and the work that she does. Don't complain, activate. I, I think I, that campaign is just genius because we can't sit around anymore and just complain about the problems. We have to activate ourselves and actively work towards finding some solutions to these issues. So. Uh, shout out Leslie Redmond. I, I try to shout her out as much as I can on the show. Uh, don't complain, activate, y'all. Yeah, and hopefully we can we can contact Leslie and get her on. She's also a huge role model of mine too. Um, the very first time I met her, I was like, wow, you know, she is powerful, and the work she's been doing with the NAACP too has been tremendous. So definitely shout out to you. Don't complain, activate, uh, Carissa. So before before we close, I, I have two questions. Well, one of them is more of a comment. Now I know who I could contact when I'm looking for a beach house in Miami or something. So uh, it's good to know that you're you're doing the real estate. We could see what type of beach houses or lake houses or whatever we could find. First uh, rolling in dough, y'all. Uh, he is not. He got, he got, got, he got the big got money. You. No, he does not. He only looks like big money. He does not have big money. I guarantee you. Um, <laughs> no, but really what I wanted to ask is like, what do you, what is something you want the community to know about you as a person? It could be related to your real estate. It could be related to anything you want them to know. Like it could be experience about you as a parent, like whatever it is you feel the community should know. I want to give you the platform. Wow. That is a wonderful, uh, a wonderful thing. So you know, I'm such a selfless person. I feel like everything I've been through, everything I go through, I use that as a platform to help the next person who's walking through. Um, so really what I would use this time for is just to give back to someone. So if you are, you know, experiencing homelessness or you're experiencing what you think is the worst time in your life, um, you will succeed. You will make through it. You will get through it. Um, for me, it's all about empowering our community. It's about giving back. It's about using um, our hardships as a platform to be better and to be more. Because as you survive those things, it just becomes wisdom for you during down the road. And it's you know helpful to someone else. So um, just me, I'm just a single mom who stood up and made a difference. Um, you know, I'm not anyone special in particular. Um, I just used my voice um, and I decided to make a difference stand up. Wow. Wow, Carissa. And you're not just a single mom. You're the single mom. <laughs> you, you the change agent, right? Absolutely. You, you saw a problem and you like sprung it to action. Yeah, some people think like, who oh, am I? I'm, I'm no one, but actually you are someone and you can use your voice or use your platform or use whatever it is um, that that makes you you to help someone else get through what they're going through. Absolutely. And, and before we let you go, I, I don't have any more questions. Uh, thank you for asking that last question. That mm -hmm. was beautifully put, Christian, and you knocked it out the park. 
Carissa, where can people find more about your business um, and what you're doing with real estate? If they have any questions, if you're looking for more clients, you know, just you know, <clears throat> people that you can assist through that process. And then also, how can people get involved with the NAACP and support your efforts on the housing committee? So I guess it's three parts to that. Absolutely. So uh, for the housing committee, we are looking for volunteers. We are completely volunteer based, but you can also become a member of the NAACP at the national level. So um, if you're willing to look at our Facebook page, um, Minneapolis NAACP, um, you can find uh, our intake form to join uh, the housing committee. We will be putting out a intake form for um, anyone that has any discrimination or housing issues. That'll be coming soon. If you're looking for me, I'm on Facebook um, at Carissa Sutton. Uh, both my Carissa Shanem is my personal page and then Carissa Sutton is my real estate page. Um, and I'm also on Instagram. I am Carissa. All right. And then and you can also find me at Powerhouse Mom as well. That's <laughs> my Powerhouse platform. Mom. Okay, we'll, we'll try to we'll try to embed that those links and that information into the video so people can find you very easily. It's not going to be a, a cumbersome process for them because we want people to get connected with you, right? That's part of the reason why we have this platform mm -hmm. is to elevate the voices and the work that you all are doing out there in the community. So. We'll definitely try to uh, do, do some marketing and networking for you, too, over at the ADOS podcast. Awesome. Thank you, guys. Uh, thank you for joining us, Carissa. Yeah, this this has been beautiful. And uh, to your Instagram name, I am Carissa. That you are. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you guys for having me on. You're welcome. Everyone, that was Carissa. Uh, we'll have the contact information posted in the links below so you can check that out. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. Please, please, please subscribe to our YouTube channel at the ADOS Podcast. We're on Facebook at the ADOS Podcast. We should get a Twitter. You know, I don't think we have a Twitter. Um, so I can't say we're on we're at Twitter on the ADOS Podcast. We will be soon, though, now that I think about it. We have Instagram at the ADOS Podcast. You can also catch us on Spotify and on Apple Music, everybody. I'm your host, Elijah Norris Holiday. And I'm Christian McClary. Thank you guys. Love you. And uh, see you next week. Peace. Peace.